Thank you so much uh, for being here this morning and for giving me the privilege of fellowshipping and worshiping with you today. It's always refreshing to be among the people of God. Um, Just seeing the saints of God gather for purposes of worship and fellowship is always a very sweet thing. Um, It's a pleasure to be here this morning with your pastor, uh, Pastor Tony. Uh, Was very warmly well received and greeted uh, by members of the staff, and I'm most appreciative of that. I really enjoyed the remarks with respect to Pastor Denhoff as well. Uh, I clearly understand and perceive uh, that this man had an enormous impact, not only on this body, but for the cause of Christ. Uh, I was also pleased to hear a few words of remarks with respect to his wife, Mrs. Denhoff. I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge her once again, so would you please acknowledge her one more time with me? I love Pastor Jason and uh, my brethren at High Street Baptist Church. I will tell you, I was most curious to imagine what Pastor Jason looks like in hot red pants, right? That's a, that would be a sight for any believer. Um, Pastor Jason has been a longtime friend of mine. I uh, hear from him occasionally. He will call me and, and might want to pray, or perhaps he'll need something, or sometimes I will randomly receive an email from him out of the clear blue, and the email always uh, always reflects a particular scripture. Uh, And it is an amazing thing that when I open that email, the way God ministers to my heart at a given moment in a given time, because an individual chose to send me an email that reflected the word of God, um, is a great experience. And I'm so thankful for him, the way he ministers to me, supports me in prayer, and walks with me as my brother in Christ. So I thank you and love you very much. Pastor Jason. We also have with us today several elected officials, uh, all of whom are my friends, all of whom are very sweet and strong believers in the Lord. Uh, My very good friend, Victor Piney, Nathan Sloniker, uh, and of course, Kevin Bacon, our state senator. I always say to myself, I would love to have Kevin's name on the ballot, right? I mean, how can you lose a political race if your name is Kevin Bacon? Uh, If you're Clarence Mingo, right? That's... uh, That's tough. (laughs) Uh, Finally, just by way of preliminary remarks, I want to let you, believers, know this morning uh, that I, too, worship faithfully uh, on Sundays and, of course, uh, attend a weekly Bible study, wanting to nourish nourish myself weekly uh, in the Lord. And and I will tell you, I've appeared at church many Sundays, uh, suit and tie, Looking great, cleanly shaved, smiling, but on the inside, I'm a broken man. I'm a broken man. It might be a financial challenge, might be a marital challenge, might have a wayward child. There might be some issue in life uh, that causes me, at least internally, to be broken at heart. And I'm confident that at this hour, there are undoubtedly souls who are looking at me, and you are listening, and you see me, but internally you are broken because something in life is challenging you. And I want to let you know that although I will give you remarks, I will also, after leaving, be careful to remember you in prayer. Uh, Whatever it is that you are faced with, whatever challenges you, I want you to be assured uh, that I will not forget to remember you in prayer and to lift you up, knowing confidently that the Lord will see you through whatever it is that is challenging you at this moment. Amen? All right, I want to talk just for a few minutes um, about leadership. We are presented today with several 
uh, state and locally elected officials. And I want to address you and them, not necessarily from the standpoint of politics, but certainly from the standpoint of leadership and how it is that we can engage in the political process for the glory of God. Many of these points will be designed to encourage and to uplift the leaders who are with us, but also to minister and to message to you as voters and residents in this community and as fellow believers concerning the way we should conduct ourselves for the cause of Christ in the field of politics and public service. Time permitting, I'll go through five brief points for your consideration, and I hope after making these remarks, your souls will be enriched and your minds will be well served as you ponder ways that we can lead more effectively for Christ in the field of public service and in the field of politics. Point number one would be as follows. We must always hold fast to the truth of Scripture and avoid compromise. We must hold fast to the truth of Scripture and avoid compromise. Now, I can't tell you that America is a Christian nation or that this is particularly a Christian community. I know factually that there are many believers, many Christians who are present in Franklin County and many of whom serve Christ faithfully daily. I know factually that there are Christian leaders in elected offices, and these are individuals that we must lift up and strengthen by way of prayer. But it is equally important that in as much as we reside in this community, and as much as we live and conduct ourselves daily, we do so, whether it is in politics or otherwise, we do so for the cause of Christ. And we must do so without compromise. We are living in historical times with respect to this nation. When wrong is right, when bad is good, and when the things of God are not fully embraced, even by way of believers. And it must be the case that if you are a believer today, if you name the name of Jesus Christ, if he serves and is your Lord and Savior, it must be the case that you hold fast to the things of God without compromise. Now, I stand before you as a Republican. And uh, I'm proud of who I am. I appreciate the party, and I stand by the things that our party believes but I'll tell you what, nothing will cause me to separate or deviate from the commands of Scripture. Not John Boehner, not Barack Obama, no other political individual will have sufficient strength to deter me from holding fast to Scriptures. The things I believe by way of life and the things that I believe by way of policy, all of them must be governed and commanded by Scripture. It matters not what your political affiliation is. It matters not that you are a Democrat or Republican. If you are a believer, it must be the case that the Bible, that the word of God alone is sufficient to govern your life in all things. Now, some of you might say, well, Mr. Mingo, that's, that's tough because uh, the Bible doesn't discuss everything. Or times are changing. Perhaps that's so. Nevertheless, the Bible is true. Let God be true in every single man a liar. And so it must be the case that if you are an elected official here today or if you are a believer and you are active in politics, I encourage you to think very carefully about your political beliefs, the policies you hold, and the things you think should happen in our community in this nation and in this nation. But as you think, you do so under the guidance of Scripture, avoiding any measure of compromise. It is important that we hold fast to the truth of Scripture and avoid any measure of compromise. Point number two, it's important that we, as locally elected officials and as fellow believers, it's important that we contend for the soul of America. 
It's important that we contend for the soul of America. Now, I am a lawyer by way of background. You will not hold that against me. I will raise your property tax bills if you do. I'm not joking. But I'm a lawyer by way of background. Uh, But I have loved the study of the Second World War and the Holocaust. And I have spent the last, oh, 30 years of my life pondering this question. Uh, How is it that a culture as rich as Germany in the 1930s fell under the spell of a single man named Adolf Hitler? Many people can't appreciate where Germany was in the 1930s, but I will tell you, this was a premier nation in the world. Germany, even after the First World War, was a mega power. It was the United States of that time. Germany was rich in culture. It was rich in faith. It was a vibrant nation on the continent of Europe. And yet, in a span of 12 years, the morals and values of that nation was utterly corrupted. And the question I've often asked myself, having read nearly every single treatise on the Holocaust and Second World War is how? How could this have happened? By way of story, I'll begin to explain to you. There was a Catholic priest in the 1930s named Martin Niemiller. Now, Martin Niemiller had a very famous partner, and you know him very well, by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Niemiller and Bonhoeffer both resided in Nazi Germany during the 1930s and certainly throughout a good deal of the 1940s. And one day, Martin Niemiller had a chance encounter with the Nazi dictator Adolf Hitler. And Niemiller was bold enough to approach the Nazi leader and said, Here, Hitler, you ought not be doing certain things in Germany, referencing the persecution of the Jews. And Hitler looked at him very coldly with eyes that were nearly reflective of ice and steel and said, Mr. Niemiller, the soul of Germany, you can leave that to me. And so Germany did. And so Germany went into the abyss that we now call the Holocaust. Believers, we must contend for the soul of America. It is not sufficient that we gather here on Sundays and worship the Lord. And yet when we leave this building, there is very little reflected of the cause of Christ in our lives. We are silent on a weekly basis in terms of how we witness for Christ. We are too afraid to name and to proclaim the name of Christ publicly. And we dread being assaulted for what we believe by way of scripture. We must contend for the soul of America and that action must be taken now. Now that doesn't mean we should go through the town of Canal, Winchester or throughout the streets of Columbus proper and beat people on the head with Bibles, right? This we must not do. But we must be salt and light to a watching world in a very bold way so that when men and women look at us, they will know without, with certainty that we are Christians We stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and there is something in our life. There is something reflected in the way we live and the way we conduct ourselves and the way we speak that is different from the world. And so we contend for the soul of America by way of our speech, by way of our conduct, and by way of fearlessness in terms of standing for the things that are right and true before God. Let us never be embarrassed about what we believe or who we are, but let us contend for the soul of America by way of politics, by way of public outcry, and by way of peaceful engagement with those around us. We must contend for the soul of America and avoid any measure of silence that fails to proclaim the name of God in an effective way. My third point would be as follows. Let us not judge men on the basis of their race, 
or their political affiliation. Let us not judge men on the basis of the race or political affiliation. Now, it is an interesting thing. I mentioned to you that I stand here before you as an elected Republican official. And uh, I will tell you quite boldly that I love my Democratic brethren. I hold absolutely nothing against them. We may differ on policy, but we are all fellow Americans, and we are all serving Ohioans, and I appreciate that. Uh, I also stand before you as an African-American. Undoubtedly, the skin is brown, is it not? Cocoa brown, that is, right? Short little black man. I can see very clearly that most of you are white. And it is an interesting thing on Sunday mornings that we all too often gather in our churches to serve the Lord, to study scripture, and to be who we ought to be in Christ. And yet, the sanctuary is incredibly segregated. It is incredibly segregated. I told you earlier that we must contend for the soul of America. How can we do this if we are so divided by way of race and by way of politics? I have Republican friends who swear Democrats are devils. I have Democratic friends who swear Republicans are right, right? (laughs) This is unacceptable. This is completely unacceptable. I resolved some time ago in my life, approximately seven years ago, having spent all my life at an African-American church, that I would break that spell. I looked around one Sunday, very moved by God, and found that it was unacceptable that I worshipped at an African-American church simply because the believers there were black. I was greatly convicted before the Lord that I had allowed that type of thinking into my life, that I was comfortable in that church merely because the brethren around me were African-American because their skin was dark. And I was moved and convicted by the Lord to do better. Moreover, I was required by God to ask for forgiveness for failing to be who I should be to other believers and to a watching world on the basis of race. And so my wife and I prayed very hard that the Lord would help us deal with this and that we would be able to make a statement for the cause of Christ on the issue of race. And so, by God's leading, we were able to find an all-white congregation, and we have been worshiping there for the last seven years in an attempt to demonstrate that believers must not be separated on the issue of race alone. And so we may be few in number in that that sanctuary, but we stand with the Lord irrespective of our color, race, or political affiliation. I will tell you another story. I once knew a little boy um, who, along with a friend, had pedaled his bike maybe two miles away from home. The young man was between ages of six and eight, and uh, he and his friend having traveled some ways from home, were surrounded by five white men on motorcycles, one of whom pulled off, pulled out a sawed-off shotgun and very boldly and in a frightening manner said, Nigger, you have five seconds to run. And so the little boy did. He pedaled home and never told a soul, notwithstanding his friend, about that particular incident. The little boy later moved from an all-black housing project to a predominantly white, upper-middle-class subdivision by way of a government program that was attempting to transition young black families and housing projects into middle-class white communities. And so the little boy and his family once again spent a summer enveloped in racism where the neighbors on the left and the neighbors on the right would routinely greet them with a good morning, nigger, or how are you, boy, 
or don't ever look at me, boy. Now that little boy stands before you, now age 42, serving as the Franklin County Auditor. And so a second question I ask myself is, why is it, why is it that within my heart there is not hate or derision towards my fellow white Americans? Why is it that my heart beats strong with respect to love for my fellow white believers and non-believers alike? The reason was because in the Mingo household, my parents insisted that love be the law of my life. That I love my fellow man just as Christ would have. That I make no distinction between people based on their race or political affiliation or based on what they've done to me. It was a rule in my household and I can remember my mother saying it vividly in the summer of 1979. You will love your white brethren. You will make no distinction with respect to people because of race, gender, or socioeconomic status. And I can remember those sweet words from my mother's voice, you will love your white brethren, and that has stayed with me these many years. And so believers, I'm telling you today that we must not judge our fellow believers or non-believers on the race of political, excuse me, on the basis of political affiliation based on the race, gender, or socioeconomic status. We must love men and women alike. We must love black and white alike, and we must love Republicans and Democrats alike. Our job as believers is to know Christ and to make him known. It matters not if you are a Democrat or a Republican. We must reach souls for the cause of Jesus Christ, ministering to all, hoping that hearts and minds will repent and fall down at the foot of Christ and make a change in their life that Christ might dwell within their souls. Point number four would be as follows. It's terribly important that we begin to engage young people for Christ. Um, I mentioned earlier that I believe we are at the crossroads of this nation. Very significant times in which we are living. And at one end of the extreme, it is very important that we have very good and faithful and competent locally elected officials. Men like Victor Piney, Kevin Bacon, Nathan Sloniger. These men deserve our best by way of prayer because of their service and sacrifice. And I will tell you, having had a very difficult week myself, it is no easy thing that they do. The level of attacks, the level of temptation to compromise what you know is right and true before God, the political pressure alone is enough to break a man. And that these individuals have lived and governed their lives in a way that not only continues to assure their re-election, but that reflects well on Christ is commendable. But at the other extreme is our young people, those individuals who are watching us very carefully, wanting to see what will become of our nation and who will lead in the future. I have an obligation as an elected official in this county, as do others, to lead in a way so that those young people know undoubtedly that A, we live in a great nation, and B, we have competent, godly leadership that will not shrink from the challenges we face. These young people need to know this because they are witness to a world that constantly messages America has seen its last days. America's greatness has gone past and it will never be revisited again. These are the messages that come not only from American media but from media across the world. And our young people need to be inspired to service. They need to know that there is meaning in life in service and sacrifice both both publicly but more importantly for Christ. And so we have a responsibility as locally elected officials and as fellow believers to live in a way that will impact our young people 
such that they will be inspired to serve the Lord and inspired to serve their community. And in this way, we must not fail them, lest America fail. We must engage our young people for the cause of Christ and inspire them to public service. Then finally, I think it's very important that we be thankful. It is ever so important that we be thankful. Now listen, I mentioned earlier, I understand that uh, there are undoubtedly some people here who are looking at me. And some of you are thinking, is he almost finished, right? (laughs) That's all right. Hang, bear with me. We're almost out of here. But some of you are, you're challenged. I know this to be true because I too am a man. I too have appeared many Sundays in a church service and my mind was greatly distracted from the things of God because I was thinking about how am I going to pay the mortgage tomorrow or my marriage is on the rocks or I offended my mother last night or my car is broken. I don't have the resources for it. I know this is true. I know the life and challenges we face. But you would be amazed at how many times God has reminded me. Clarence, wake up and give me thanks. Be grateful that you live in this prosperous nation where you have freedom. Where you can worship me almost without limit if you so desire. Where you can read what you want. Where you can stand on the street corner and proclaim the name of Christ and the things that I've called you to do. Give me thanks, so saith the Lord. And this we must never fail to do irrespective of the challenges we are facing at this hour. God has been so faithful to us here in America. I'm a veteran of the first Persian Gulf War, what you might remember as Desert Storm. And I will tell you, that was a very difficult time for my family. This was in 1990, and my mother had two sons, one in the Marine Corps, one in the United States Army, both of us in combat units. And it was a very frightening time. And though I was in theater, I was deployed in southern Iraq and in part of Kuwait, as was my brother. And so I was not able to understand what was happening by way of public response to the Persian Gulf War. But I returned to the States in May of 1991 only to learn that America, America during that conflict fell on its knees before the Lord and cried out for help. And God answered and delivered in a powerful way. And I will never forget that. I will never forget it to such an extent that I will never be ashamed to give God thanks publicly for the way that he has protected and kept this nation and so richly provided for so many of us. God has not failed us, and it must be the case that we will never be publicly ashamed to say thank you, Lord, for what you have done in our lives, in this community, and in our nation. We must be careful to give God thanks in all things. Now, some time ago, uh, I made a very public announcement. I think I shared with individuals in this uh, community that I have a disease called Parkinson's disease. And I'm rather young to have Parkinson's. I'm 24. (laughs) (sighs) Lying is one of my great sins. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Um, But I have Parkinson's disease. I've been symptomatic for a long time. And I have had some challenges, candidly, many physical challenges. Uh, If you know an individual with Parkinson's, you know that one of the things that people afflicted with Parkinson's are challenged with, it would be rigidity or what we call stiffness. Um, Individuals with Parkinson's suffer from a very unique form of stiffness such that sometimes it can be hard to walk, can be difficult to talk, and it certainly, if you're a political person or a person in the public eye, can be difficult to raise your arm and give a proper goodbye or wave. I've got two kids 
um, and when I drop them off uh, at school in the morning because I can't wait. They tease me and say, bye, Dad. But, you know, they give me the, it's the best I can do. Um, so these days I have resorted to um, doing the best I can, raising this arm as much as I can. I can give you this, right? It's not a gang symbol, um, but you know the symbol as peace and would simply close out by saying grace and peace to all of you. Thank you so very much.